Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Damn it, zigging and zagging. Is it going to be all right? Hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. And on today's show, it's Box Camera Appreciation. Woohoo! We asked you which box cameras you'd suggest, and you've delivered. We'll cover a bit of the history of the box camera, from where it began to basically where it just kind of ended. Eric will talk about his new zine, full of photos taken with a box camera. We've got zine reviews and the second installment of our zine how-to. And we'll even give a call to Jennifer Frau-Leweber, and the last time she talked tintypes, but this time she'll be talking... Box cameras, you're seeing a theme here, maybe it's box camera appreciation. Appreciation! But first, how are you doing? Oh, great. I've been, uh, actually, it's the winter, and normally I just kind of hunker down and don't do anything, but I've been getting out, I've been shooting. In the last episode of Dev Party, we talked about the 120 Polaroid back, and I've been shooting that quite a bit. Uh, I went to a local park called Discovery Park, which used to be an old fort of some kind. There's a weird-ass radar thing there. You and the radar things. (laughs) I do like weird-ass radar things. It's true. There's been a shot that I've been trying to get at another park. I've tried three different times and have had three different failures. Actually, it's been a lot of failure. Quite a lot of failure. (laughs) Is this Duxedo Park? It is Duxedo Park, yes. It is Duxedo Park. And maybe someday you people will know what we're talking about. And how how about you? How how are you doing? What have you been up to? Well, I have been a little slow over here, but I have been shooting. I shot about a half a roll in my Nikonos 5. I don't know, just a little bit of water shooting. And then I shot with my box camera since it's box camera appreciation. Yeah. Did everybody get that? I think they that did. Box? Yeah. Okay. They're All clued right. in. So I shot a Agfa D6 cadet box that my father-in-law gave me a couple years ago. When oh. he gave it to me, it was a box that made lots of noise. Every little piece inside was loose. And I was like, oh my gosh, what should I do with this? I ended up like opening it up and it was basically just the nails needed to be nailed back into place and so you you um, actually got to use a hammer on a camera and it worked out pretty well yes so i did uh shoot that Mm -hmm. once this week i shot cat labs okay yeah i was like huh i need to like think of a film that i can use i don't care too much about oh okay (laughs) i'll shoot the cat labs that eric gave me Sorry. No. That stuff is so stinky. It smells so bad. Yeah, it 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 is. It's uh it's indicative. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> so I will say that this isn't a 120 film camera. No, this is it, D6. Yes. What is D6? Yes, 116. That's it. So I did look online and there is a nice guy that showed his backing paper and how far to wind for each shot. Nice. But I didn't see that until after I developed. So all of my photos basically overlapped each other. But some of them came out super fucking cool. They did. Yeah, I've seen a few of them. And we'll, we'll post a few of them. And I, yeah, I got to pick out a couple of ones uh, I like for myself. Yeah, well, it was weird because they were all combined. So then I had to decide where I wanted to cut them. These are kind of like overlapping double exposures. Yeah, and some triple and 
which some does, triples does, as well doesn't make a whole lot of sense how that happened but <laughs> besides shooting i did get a little bit older you are you old no i'm 37 i'm not old i'm 37 i'm not old just checking and I got some super sweet gifts in the mail Aww. from two fantastic people that happen to live in the same house in Seattle. I got two books, okay. a William H. Jackson book and a Solomon Butcher book. Oh. I have been reading the Solomon Butcher. I have not even really looked through the pictures yet because I'm still in the beginning and kind of reading his whole like photographic story. This is like the first time that I've decided that I'm like, all right, I'm gonna just read this. I wanna know about this guy and then I'm gonna look at his pictures and see if there's a difference because usually I'm like, oh, photo book, picture, picture, picture. Uh, words. Maybe later. Picture, picture, picture. Uh, yeah. When you're finished, let me know how it turns out. Is he? <laughs> he does he make it? Is that the? Does he? Does he win? Not exactly. Well, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know what the goal here is. Uh, I also got a new waterproof camera. It's a Minolta Dual 35 Weathermatic. Ooh. 35 millimeter. Yay. So excited. Nice. So that'll be super fun. And Sarah got me a Fuji waterproof disposable camera. So I will be probably shooting with that hopefully next week that's awesome yes that's awesome so thank you so overall an eventful past fortnight for the both of us yes yes i guess we haven't talked about box cameras enough so why don't we check the answering machine let's check the answering machine okay now the question we asked was kind of a simple one it was if you were going to recommend a box camera to a friend which box camera would it be and also why we should have asked if you're recommending a box camera to an enemy, <laughs> which box camera would, would it be? And I think the whys there would probably be more interesting. <laughs> but regardless, uh, why don't you push the button? All right. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hello, Jonas, a.k.a. Kolomaton here. And all I can say about the box cameras is Agfa. 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 Yeah, that's the Agfa Clack, the box camera that wants you to think it's an actual normal camera or something by its shape and form, but it's got the strap and everything, can't deny it. But yeah, you gotta like uh, this camera, it's 6x9, it's a very round boxer shape and uh, you can either get the version with... Um, uh, close focusing lens or if you're a big black and white geek like uh, some of us are me sometimes you can get it with a built-in yellow filter oh yeah for shooting that snow okay but peace out bye i want a clack now <laughs> so he's convinced you of the clack yes have you ever have you seen a clack have you, have you shot one no i haven't Ooh. I, I have. I saw the pictures that a clack produced, and I was like, I want that. I need that. I need it in my life. <laughs> and so I got one. They weren't produced over here. I think they may have been released over here under a different name. There were two. There was a clack and I think a click. A click was six by six, and a clack was six by nine. Nice. <laughs> but I, I shot the clack, and I just, I, something about it didn't do it for me, and I got rid of it. I kind of regret getting rid of it a little bit, but not enough to get another one. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, this is Alan Mills uh, putting in my first submission, I guess, um, talking about a box camera. Um, I'm going to talk about my Kodak Brownie Jr. Um, 
It unfortunately hasn't been getting much love lately, but um, I've taken some pretty trippy, fun, leaky, and sort of haunting shots, uh, usually at the beach, um, primarily just because it's kind of an indestru uh, indestructible box of metal and glass. <laughs> Uh, so I was never really too concerned about it getting um, damaged. But anyways, um, I also sent you a picture of uh, sort of a family portrait, I guess. Um, yeah, okay, bye. I will say that when he told us that he doesn't, not that he doesn't care about it, but he, he takes it to the beach, like maybe he wouldn't necessarily take a specific camera to the beach because he doesn't want to get sand in it. But I definitely think that people should have cameras that you feel you could take anywhere. And if it breaks, it breaks. And sometimes these cameras are perfect for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. Fully agree. We need beach cameras or hiking cameras or cameras that are just kind of beaters that still take decent photos yeah. or at least interesting photos yeah yeah wind sailing cameras uh cave cameras sure sure hobbit hole cameras. This is a dangerous place hello it is space critter once again um I have a lot of box cameras, but I think my very favorite is the Portrait Hawkeye number two, which is actually a British camera. Um, the reason I like it is that <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to restore it. They're usually in really terrible shape, and this one happened to be pretty good, but the portrait lens, which swings into place, was in rough shape, and I had to figure out using, uh, I think, yeah, the flossing tools that people with braces use. That was the only way I could get to clean it because you can't take the camera apart. Anyway, it's neat. It, it takes actually remarkably good pictures considering how simple it is and uses 120 film, which is very nice and handy. Okay, I can see that you are impressed with the flossing tools end of things here. Yes. How are you feeling about this? Well, I just want to know how he does it. Go for it. I have never shot a Hawkeye number two. I haven't either. And it's red and it's so cute. They came in green colors and red colors and I don't know, blue maybe. So there is a special place in my heart for photographers who take old cameras and try to get them working again. So thank you very much, Space Critter. Let me tell you about my first and favorite box camera. It's also my first medium format and my oldest camera. It's a B2 Agfa Ansco Cadet that I got from the thrift store for about five bucks. It has a little extra aperture tab and another little yellow filter on there. And it makes some pretty good photos if you're really skilled with it. Black and white's a little difficult and color's a bit more lenient. The B2 is an old German designation for 120 film. Agfa is a German company and Sco is the, the American branch and they split up in World War II. The age of the box camera is built right into the name and it's very amusing for the conversation piece, which is most of what it is. Not everyone has had their picture taken with an 80-year-old box camera and some people can appreciate the panache. That is fucking awesome. What he just said, that you're shooting a camera that's 80 years old. Yes. That's so incredible to me. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Yeah, I mean, you, there's very few things that, you, that are 80 years old that you can still use. <laughs> no, I'm mean, seriously. I mean, like, Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. But anyway. You don't want to know. <laughs> Jesus, Fanya. I mean, certain things can work with medication. It just depends. Let's move on. Hello, this is J.D. Stratton at brownie underscore the underscore little 
camera on Instagram. You'd think Brownie would be my uh, camera of choice, but it's not. I am a big fan of the Ansco Flex 2. It's a square camera, also a box camera. Has this monster viewfinder on it. It's super clear. You shoot 620 film in that. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite ones to use. It's quite the, quite the camera. It doesn't have any settings on it, but it does have a couple of filters that you can flip over in the front of the lens that are built into the camera. Nothing special about it, but it's a lot of fun to shoot. You guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Uh, have a great day. Yay! Thank you so much for calling in. Have you ever used an Have you ever used an Ansco Flex? You know what? Yeah. I have not. And let me guess, you have. I have used an Ansco Flex one. I do not have the sequel, Ansco Flex two. Is it green yeah. though? Is it the yeah, same they're, color? They're exactly the same looking camera, except for the two has a close-up filter and a yellow filter. I believe it's a yellow filter. That's really cool. Yeah. It almost looks like like original Tupperware, you know, the color. Oh, right. Yeah, it does have that, that 70s Tupperware color look. Thank you, everybody who called in and gave us your answers. Now it's time for us to answer. Eric, mm. I want you to go first. Me? Okay. Yes. I will gladly talk about this. <laughs> uh, I, the one that was my first box camera. It was my first antique camera. It was made in 1914. It is the Kodak Brownie Number no. 2 Model D. It seems pretty indestructible for a square bit of cardboard, honestly. If you're looking to get into box cameras... I think the early ones are a good place to start because really it's it's cool as hell to be shooting a 100-year-old camera. But a lot of the early ones do take 120 film. This is before 620 came around. So if you get a one early enough, you'll just shoot 120 film like it's nothing. But I do want to have an honorable mention. And that is the the idea of a, of a 4x5 box camera. I didn't really know they existed until I found one in, in an antique store. It's a Connolly Senior, and it actually, you're looking at me like this is the most boring thing you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking at you. No, it's fine. Explaining it, it's amazing. Look, it, if, you, if you want to shoot a 4x5 box camera, they exist. I highly suggest it. They're made by a bunch of different companies. Find one, make sure it fits modern film holders. F Vanya, what, uh, <laughs> tell me. For God's sake, tell me about the box camera that you would suggest that people buy. I say go cheap. Okay. So yeah, I mean, if you can get a brownie number two that shoots 120, go for it. But if not, I would probably suggest the Argus 75. It's cute, it's plastic, it's a pseudo TLR, so it has a waist level viewfinder. I actually took mine completely apart and put it back together and... It works still. Yay. <laughs> it does suck that it, it takes the 620 yes. reels. So you do have to um, work with that. <sighs> but I think I put a 120 in recently and it did just fine. Oh, cool. So. Some cameras will do that. Some actually most yeah. won't. So it's always a good idea to re-roll, I guess. But if you can yeah. do it, do it. Yeah. If you can re-roll, re-roll. If not, 
risk it. Yeah. Caution to the wind. <laughs> Let's do crimes. <laughs> back in episode four we called up jennifer frowler weber about all things tintypes we touched on box cameras a tiny little bit but we thought we'd give her a ring once again to delve deeper into the topic of box cameras and find out what she loves about that special weird little format let's give jennifer a call let's do that hello 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 guys how's it going oh it's going great how are you definitely ready to talk about box cameras here yeah (laughs) yeah yes indeed why don't you start us off vanya okay so we asked people to call in and recommend maybe their what their favorite box camera was and so we want to ask you um if you're going to recommend a box camera to a friend which box camera would it be and also why I guess I, I guess I have two. One for if you're not really familiar with respooling or adjusting 620 film, which is the Fotac Traveler, which is like a Chicago-made box camera from the 1940s. Um, it has a little bit of edge distortion and kind of a dreamy quality to the images, especially when I use, um, oh, yeah, always use 100-speed film, I think, for that one. Um, and then the other one, my all-time favorite, my go-to for now and forever is my my brownie flash 620 which is like i said my personal favorite just because it has so much character to it um it, it just produces like great vignetting and really really distinct edge distortion to the point where it's just like it's really like odd like you could look at a, a frame that you shot with it and just think what there's something really different about that image that you just can't produce like with any modern lens so i'd have to say uh those two would be my my go-to favorite all-time cameras that i would mm-hmm. recommend i don't know the photac i don't know a ton about it but i know i all i know is that it was based in chicago or the company was made them was in chicago and uh um yeah it's from like 1948 or something like that but um but yeah it's like really reliable it's built like a tank just kind of like the brownie flash 620 and a lot of those cameras from the 40s you know 50s but yeah i i don't know i've just had really good luck with it and it was one of those cameras that i just stumbled across digging through an endless drawer of junk in an antique store it's kind of neat because with the box cameras, I, I mean, I would, I think what kind of drove me into like the analog world was looking at these old photos. And I mean, I guess, you know, now it was, it, to me, it seemed kind of foreign and strange and that like all, all of these box cameras were just kind of sitting on shelves and in, in museums, you know, just yeah. kind of gathering dust. And I think when I was younger, especially like I just kind of looked at them and kind of thought they weren't functioning and they were just sitting there just you know, because, you know, they nobody thought they could work anymore or, or something like that. And I mean, just looking at these images that I, I collect a lot of old photos that kind of catch my eye, you know, with just just really cool, interesting like subjects or like a, just kind of a great aesthetic to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun for me to look at um, the old box cameras and think like, oh, these are these are what we're taking these photos that I've been collecting. So I don't know, I guess I, I guess I'm always trying to achieve that aesthetic that I'm seeing in these old photos that I've collected for so long with the box cameras. So on box cameras, you you sort of started 
kind of backwards with the large format tintypes <laughs> first. Mm-hmm. Uh, were box cameras your next step? You're going to laugh. Um, and I had, I kind of forget about this a lot, but my first tintype was shot, shot out of a number two brownie camera. Yes. Yeah, I know, you guys. <laughs> wow. I thought you'd like that. Like, yes. I, like that. <laughs> I am a fan of the number twos. <laughs> Yeah, number twos are great. I don't even know why I don't shoot with them more. I think it's just one of those things where I think I had to adapt. I don't know. I've just like kind of forgotten about. There's just so many aspects. But anyways, getting back to the tintypes, this is before I acquired any sort of large format photography equipment, you know, large format camera, my Grayflex that I shoot with now. I didn't really have anything. So I just I just thought, okay, well, a brownie number two, that's got a pretty big opening in the back. And that would be pretty easy to cut a plate down to size and just kind of mount it in the back. And I kind of jury rigged it with, you know, a few pieces of metal sheeting and I think I had to pull something else out of it but anyways I, I modified it to hold a tintype so the first dozen two dozen tintypes I shot were out of a brownie number two box camera that is rad yeah <laughs> no it was idea. kind of fun yeah and um and yeah there was like a cool dreamy quality and granted they weren't like the best images but you know I just mounted it on a tripod obviously and it was like a two minute long, maybe three minute long exposure that I had to hold still for. But, you know, I did some selfies and took pictures of family cats and my dad and like, I don't know, but it worked out really well. And I was actually really, really impressed with how well it did like handling um, the collodion and the whole tintype process. So I was I was impressed with it. It's a, it's a good lens on those number two brownie cameras. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's death. Now that I'm talking about it, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should try that again. That was kind of fun, you know? And yeah. So that's kind of a marriage of the two that I, I don't know. I, it was just kind of funny. I had totally kind of not forgotten about it, but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind until you asked that question. So, so there it is. Yeah. So apart from box cameras, you've been using a Hasselblad. Mm-hmm. Since you use the same film in both, what is it about a scene that has you selecting one camera over the other? With the Hasselblad, I mean, it's like the polar opposite of what you're doing with the box camera, right? I mean, you're right. basically, <laughs> yeah, you're taking a box camera and you're just like looking at a cool scene or situation or placement and you just hold it up and you press a button. And I, I kind of always know that I'm going to get something cool or interesting or full of character when I use a box camera. And sometimes like mentally, it's just kind of a breath of fresh air to just grab a box camera, load it with some film and just point and shoot like that. Whereas with like the Hasselblad, you know, anything you shoot kind of manually, you're, you're kind of, you, your mind is on a, dif- a lot of different things. And it's, it's a little bit more of like a stressful shooting situation. And, you know, with the box cameras, you can only get, I think the closest usually in most of them is like within six to 15 feet really and you can't create bokeh which is another thing reason why I really like my Hasselblad and its lenses you could get some serious like depth of field with those and you've got great clarity so I mean it's like what it kind of just whatever fits my mood I know it's kind of weird but it's just I think I've always been really impressed with Hasselblads too but it seems weird because I gravitate towards all these old processes and grungy lenses and and things like that but um but yeah so that's where I stand with it (laughs) (laughs) Well, with with that, turning the film, but still, you know, the the grungy idea, the yeah. 
you you often lean towards like the Delta, Guilford Delta. It's kind of your right. your seems to be your go your go to film, and that's mm-hmm. a T grain like T Max mm-hmm. and Acros. So it's like a it's a very modern, sometimes digital look to it. Right. I I don't often like shooting with it. So when you shoot it in your Hasselblad, everything looks very sharp and clean, like it's supposed to. But you yeah. also shoot them in box cameras, right? Rather than like a more traditional like T like Triax or something. I think it's really interesting to pair a film that's so like high contrast and sharp with a lens that's a little dreamy and a little like, like I said, like, you know, there's usually like fungus growing on the lens, which I always leave there because I think that's interesting and cool. But yeah, I think just something about the pairing of like a really sharp uh, contrast driven uh, film with like an old box camera has like a really interesting look to it. And I, I think the tonal range is really good with that Delta. Like I'll shoot, you know, a non T grain film out of a box camera and it kind of looks gray and flat and sometimes it looks a little overexposed but when I use a delta film I feel like the tones everything just comes out the way that I envisioned it like there's just a really wide spectrum of variety in grays and blacks and whatnot um I think with a lot of t-grain films when I shoot them in an SLR camera I, I kind of lose shadow detail a lot of times which is kind of frustrating hmm. But when I put it in a box camera, for some reason, like all these really like shaded dark areas seem to pop more. And I I don't know if that's I think it's just the nature of some of these box cameras. They just expose it in a way that that works really well. Okay, so uh, you rely almost exclusively on natural lighting, which it's winter now. And while the light is always at a nice angle, there just isn't really much of it. How are you coping with that and how are you staying motivated through the winter? It's been tough. I think I've been struggling with like everybody else who's been trying to shoot film, you know, naturally. It's it's hard because I don't get off work until like the sun is setting or is Ugh. set. Oh, wow. So I'm just I've missed all of the light. There's not there's nothing left for me. That's when I really do the bulk of my shooting during the week is just, you know, those times between like five and seven, seven thirty. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. where the light's really good. Um, and it's just like a nice thing for me to do before like I head home and whatnot. I guess I'm just kind of embracing the weather and what it's doing. Doing. And I, I definitely am shooting less in general, which kind of gives me more time to kind of play with other things, like other projects I've been putting off or more and more experimenting, I guess. Like if I have some cameras that I haven't shot with in a while and like checking if I actually do really like shooting with them or maybe it's something that I want to let go or if I have to respool like funny film on a another spool and like, you know, run it through a weird, obscure camera. So, I mean, there's like lots of things that I'm trying to get done before the nicer weather comes. I just finally found like a dark room kind of tent set up for my hatchback, which was a really hard size to fit. So like just little things like that, I kind of like preoccupy my time with. When we do have snow or fog, I feel like I can't wait to get out there and like shoot and kind of try a really cool atmospheric, like spooky, like landscapes and shots and just kind of play with with all of that and you know and just take advantage of it because like throughout the rest of the year obviously we don't have like that that kind of snow and fog where you know you can get some really cool like creepy like fun images oh, yeah. and I and just I guess I just have to try a little bit harder but I it's kind of fun it's a good challenge and um, I think I grow a lot in the winter where opposed to the summer and the spring where I have a lot more options with the light yeah mm-hmm. oh. okay so uh we have one last question oh. it's going to be the one that we're asking listeners to call in on the next episode. Uh, do you like shooting with others or would you rather shoot alone and why? <laughs> this is a very interesting question. And <laughs> <laughs> I think 
it was really funny because I was trying to shoot with my dad yesterday and it was not working out great. Like, wow. he's probably going to laugh at me for saying this. But anyways, <laughs> I, um, cause you know, it's, it, we, we kind of have the same workflow flow and we're, we're kind of like going about it. We're shooting manual and like, I, I don't know. I think we kind of were like lying to ourselves. We're like butting our heads together, but we like each other's company. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just like laughing as the whole day. We were not getting anything good at all, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's fine. We're just tired. And like, you know, let's try this. But literally nothing we did worked. And I feel like more often than not, that happens. So I think I think it's kind of a different story. If you're shooting, um, if you're shooting manual or if I'm shooting tintypes or anything like large format or something that like like needs a little bit more attention than just loading up a, a you know an SLR camera with some 35 millimeter film like I think I need to be all by myself like and very focused I mm-hmm. think I just get too distracted I there's a lot of things going through my mind anyways all the time so I think the less distraction the better and I, I do get my best work I think out of just being alone and by myself I mm-hmm. I yeah. I can see, though, like there's a lot of benefit to shooting with other people. Like I, I hear about film walks that people do and, you know, or just like shooting in groups. And I think, you know, people learn a lot from one another, obviously. And um, but yeah, I guess personally, I just kind of like to be all by my lonesome doing mm-hmm. my thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's like so sweet that you shoot with your dad, though. It gives me hope for my daughter. I, I really want her to get to the point where she wants to shoot with me occasionally. Oh, well, I'm sure <laughs> she'll get there. Your stuff I'm sure she's inspired. But I, yeah, I, I love shooting with my dad. I think it's it's like a really cool thing that we could share together and we yeah. can speak out about and like, you know, he's, you know, it's just like, I don't know, we like come together and we can like just spend an entire day just talking about film or like old processes. And like, he's always doing his kind of thing. And I'm doing my thing. We kind of come together and talk and like, I don't know, it's like, it's like a cool thing for our relationship. So I, I don't know, I'm really, I'm really blessed to have somebody to like share that with, especially my own dad. So it's, it's a cool, it's a cool thing that we have together. Well, this has been fun, you guys. Yeah, Is there great. anything else you wanted to talk about? or? I think we got it all. I think we got it Good. all, yeah. It's like really enjoyed being on, and I really thank you guys for asking me about like box cameras, too. I think Again, I think it's like an area that a lot of people kind of disregard, you know, or like as tools for photography because they think they're really amateurish. But, I mean, it's just fun to like just share what they could do, uh, you know, even on social media and like with you guys talking about it. It's just, I don't know. There's And there's a lot just, that just end up in the garbage, which makes me crazy. Yeah. So I, I just like, I don't know. You can just spread the word a little bit. People might like find more value in them. Yes. So anyways, all right, you guys. All right, well, thank, thank you so much. So much. Uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Alrighty. Okay. All right. Okay. Take it easy. Bye. Yeah, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Since this is our box camera appreciation episode, let's dig into the history of these simple little cameras. But first, I think we both have a slightly different definition of what is and isn't a box camera. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Vanya, what do you consider a box camera? I would say a camera usually with a fixed focal lens and aperture. So you're literally just pushing a button. Okay. Just a simple snapshot. Um, camera made with 
cheap materials and produce for mass market and amateur photographers or children at a low cost. Okay. I mean, that's you're, everything you mentioned there is definitely a box camera. <laughs> you can't really, you know, you can't really fall you there. And I, I agree with like the mass market and the amateur angle. But I mean, I, I do like my box cameras in theory. I don't think I have any that do this, but in theory, I like box cameras that you can focus a little bit, that you can change the aperture a little bit. Uh, that even, even, I know, but even, even the, <laughs> even the brownie that I have from 1914, you can change the aperture on that. It's 1914. Yeah, it has that little thing that you can pull up and down, right? So it has like, what, three different F stops? Uh, two. Come on, don't get crazy. It's just two of them. <laughs> But I mean, okay. I, I do I do appreciate the very simple, you got one aperture, you got one shutter speed, you've got one of everything. You've, you've, With you've, endless possibility. You, you have just barely enough to take a photo. Yes. Barely. And that's a box camera to me. Well, the true definition of box cameras changed as they evolved. So let's start at the beginning. Actually, maybe a little bit before the beginning. Prior to box cameras, coming into popularity in the late 1800s, photography was mostly for studio photographers. The idea of amateurs existed, but was still a very exclusive hobby. Yeah, so around 1870, the very first box camera appeared on the market in France. This camera didn't have a shutter. Well, how you'd take a photo is you would remove the lens cap and expose the film, or the plate in this case. This was a pretty common practice with studio cameras, and uh, it was kind of neat that they were trying it in a box camera. This box was called Le Phoebus, and it was built of mahogany wood, uh, maybe the finest mahogany wood, yes. and had a brass-mounted lens. Most of these cameras used glass plates, but uh, because this was essentially a prototype, Le Phoebus was uh, not mass-produced, and it didn't really catch on. Then, a decade and a half later, in 1886, George Eastman made the interchangeable view camera. This was not a box. Their second camera produced in the same year, however, was the Eastman Cosset detective camera. This was indeed a box. It could even focus but unfortunately, it was a financial failure. However, its ingenious design could be used for both roll film and glass plates. I really like that, that you can switch between the two. So, okay, two years later in 1888, the first Kodak camera was released. It was Eastman's first true box camera available to the masses. Their slogan, you press the button, we do the rest, set the stage for all box cameras to come. Through the 1890s, Eastman released a number of cameras. Many of these were folding cameras, so not technically boxes, but a number of them followed the box camera idea. These were named things like the ordinary camera and the pocket camera, the daylight and the codet. Yeah, the ordinary camera. Uh, it sounds like such a wonderfully boring camera. <laughs> I, know. I would enjoy that. So while all this was happening, there was a camera company in Boston producing the Boston Bullseye, which is, I think, the best camera name in the history of cameras. Absolutely. So three years after it was invented, Kodak bought this up. This was a bad seller for Kodak, though. But this was a bit of a milestone as far as box cameras went, as it was the first camera to combine three features that would stay with box cameras for decades to come. First, it had a front roll design. This means that the film spools were moved up towards the front of the camera. And second, it also used daylight film spools. This feature allowed the camera to be loaded outside of the darkroom, which was a huge deal. 
Absolutely. These are just regular spools of film at this point. And lastly, it employed the infamous red window. This allows you to see the frame numbers printed on the backing paper. Even after box cameras went out of fashion, this feature stuck around and is still used today. Now, following the bullseye, Kodak made smaller box cameras such as the Pocket, the Falcon, the Flexo, the Bullet, Eureka, and lots of different cameras with lots of different names. The names much more different than the cameras. Each had different features, including variable speeds, multiple aperture settings, and some could even be focused. Crazy. Some shot roll film, some used glass plates, some you gave to your mom, some you gave to your kids. It was crazy times then. But into the early 1900s, Kodak focused mostly on folders, but still produced a few boxes. The vast majority of these boxes fell under the name Brownie. Cameras were coming down in price, but were still too expensive for the masses. The most affordable Kodak was $5, which is 150-ish in today's money. George Eastman turned to Frank Branwell, a camera maker, to come up with an incredibly cheap model. After a few weeks in his workshop, the Brownie, named after the maker, was born. Unlike most cameras of the day, the Brownies were made of cardboard, uh, some wood, and a lens. It cost a dollar, and Kodak made 245,000 of them in the first year of production alone. These were simple cameras for people to shoot, kind of like what a compact automatic cameras are today. You didn't really need to learn anything technical. You just point and shoot. You press the button. Kodak did the rest. The specs were simple. An aperture of f14, a focal length of 100 millimeter, and a shutter speed of around 150th of a second. It produced an image two and a quarter by two and a quarter inch square on a roll film that gave you six exposures. The early brownies had a meniscus lens, which was convex on the external side of the camera. This made for interesting optical effects, as light slightly blurred focus on the edges of the image. Yeah, you can see that in some of the images that I've shot with the brownie number two. Yeah, kind of gets a little squiggly around the edges there it's really good for portraits it is good for portraits so with these cameras kodak used the razor and blades business model which is also the inkjet ink business model this basically meant that they sold their product in this case the cameras for dirt cheap and made all their money on film and development which they offered a youth culture quickly grew up around the brownies which were at first marketed to those under 16 an official brownie club was established in the first year and contests became a regular event from this point on the brownie brand grew with each passing model number new features were added. A few years into it, they even introduced folding versions as well. Can I mention something really quick? Yeah, of course. So I didn't know that they used those little creatures. What were they? They used the yeah, little like sprites or elves. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that those were called brownies also. And that's yeah. why they used them in in the, in the in the marketing, they have on the on the, some of the ads. They have the pictures of someone, usually a, a little child, taking a photograph of little fairies, elves that yeah. are that are terrifying. They are terrifying. Yeah, these this is nightmare fuel. One of the most successful brownies from the later era was the Kodak Brownie Hawkeye, introduced in 1949 and produced into the 60s. We've both shot these. Uh, I think actually everybody in the world has shot one of these. We've seen them. They're really cute. If you haven't seen it look it up, you, you're like, oh my god, I know what that is. While we've shot with these, Kiki Wilkins uh, produced a really wonderful zine that is just Hawkeye shots. That's the second issue of Scenes from Tucson. Yes, Kiki is awesome. He is. Buy a zine. Damn it. Why? Have you not bought a zine yet? 
All through this period, other companies competed with Kodak in the box camera market. The direct rival to the Brownie was the Ansco Dollar Camera, produced in 1910. This took 127 film, and it was much more compact. Later, in the 1930s, they introduced the Panda, which, like the Brownie Jr., was marketed directly to children. As other manufacturers came onto the scene, the style moved away from the boxy look and added a bit of flair and style. An early example of this is the Ensign Full View from 1946. This enlarged the viewing window to nearly the size of the taking lens, but this also looked strange and amazing. It wasn't quite a pseudo-TLR, and it definitely wasn't like a normal box camera. You, you gotta see these. Look it up somewhere. It's really a camera that needs to be seen. I've always wanted these. I don't have one. I've got friends that have them. I've never even been able to see one in real life. It's kind of a dream camera for me in some way. I'm sure I'll hate shooting it. The idea of what box cameras could be was evolving by the middle of the century. New materials such as Bakelite and plastics were introduced. Other non-box cameras were even influencing the look of these modern boxes. The 40s and 50s saw an explosion in the twin lens reflex system. These were medium format cameras with two lenses, a taking and a viewing. Everything you did to one lens was done to the other. For example, if you focus the taking lens, you'd be able to see how that changed things in the viewing lens. The most popular of these were the Kodak's Duoflex and the Argus Argoflex 75. With the 1960s came the decline of box cameras in general. Cameras like the Kodak Instamatic and the various Polaroids took over the consumer markets. The box idea was carried on, however, with the various toy and novelty cameras. No companies nailed the aesthetic like Imperial. With space-age-looking models like the Savoy and Satellite, Debonair and Herco, they transformed box cameras from smallish black boxes into rocket ship dreams in colors of teal, mint, and red. So for millions of people, the box cameras were where you started. They were simple to use, they were the point and shoots of their day, and most importantly, they were cheap. Even if you've shot SLRs and view cameras, you'd probably still benefit from shooting a box. And if you haven't tried it, we both suggest that you do. It's kind of a fun learning experience, kind of get back to basics. So go buy a box camera and start shooting a box camera. Have you ever shot a box camera before? If not, shoot one. So last episode, I talked a little bit about my portrait zine. And in this episode, Eric has a new zine out. This one is full color and square, just like him. Hey. And just like the photos he shot with Imperial Savoy. Eric. Yeah. Why did you decide to make a zine about the Savoy? Mostly so you could make fun of me. <laughs> Recently, I've been shooting more cameras like the Mamiya RB67, thank you, and various SLRs, not to mention the 4x5s. I just kind of wanted to get back into shooting a more simple kind of photograph. I'd stopped shooting with the Savoy a couple of years back, and I wanted to revisit some of my old work in hopes of inspiring me to pick it up again. Was this a project you did over the summer? Uh, well, it was a project I did over several summers, though I didn't know that it was going to be a project when I started it. I literally just looked through my old photos and found the ones that inspired me the most, and I used them. Is there any specific way you laid out your zine? Yeah, uh, I arranged the photos kind of based on their locations. The start of the zine, it begins at home, and we drive east into Idaho, then south into Nevada and California, and then east again, zigzagging up and down the country, all the way into Kansas and Iowa before turning the fuck around and heading back west through Dakotas and Utah. Finally, we end up back home, right where we started. What the fuck are you doing? All right. <laughs> 
So you've had the Savoy for, you said, a decade? Is this the same one? Well, not quite a decade, but yeah, it's the same camera. I'm looking through it and I see some modern films. Are they all modern film? They um, Almost. They probably shot some really old stuff somewhere, but it was all color, so it has to be pretty modern. So okay. yeah, this was uh, 120 film re-rolled onto 620 spools. Okay. So the Savoy takes 620. Were you doing that on the road or did you re-roll those at home and have them ready to go oh no i re-rolled those at home doing it on the road is a huge pain in the ass. doing it at all is a huge pain in the ass but it's kind of a necessary thing yeah uh the 620 thing if you guys don't know it's uh it's 620 film is 120 film that's just rolled onto smaller spools so that kodak could make their film kind of their own do you have any advice for people that want to pick up a Savoy or an Imperial uh, or a, any sort of 620 plastic spaceship camera of your dreams? <laughs> the the spaceship dream cameras that Imperial made, yeah, I mean, they're really fun looking. A lot of people get them just to put them on a shelf. And, you know, that's okay, I guess. But for the most part, if the shutter works, the camera works. Since there's only one aperture and there's only one shutter speed, you kind of need to adjust the film speed. Basically, I was shooting mostly 100 or 200 in very sunny locations. If it's cloudy, don't shoot with these things unless you know what you're doing. But I've been kind of lucky. I've used a wide variety of film and it just sort of works out. Just be gentle, be smart and eh, keep it sunny. And where can people pick up your zine? People can pick up my zine on my Etsy store, uh, which is, I believe, Conspiracy of Cartographers on Etsy. But you can also find it on my Instagram at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Are you thinking about doing a zine? If you are, stay tuned because we're going to talk about it. After these messages, we'll be right (laughs) back. That's it. I'm getting more coffee just because of that. (laughs) So in the last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, the the beginnings of of how to start a zine, how to start doing a zine. So at this point, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. What are you doing? But at this point in your zine making, you have your photos selected. They're scanned in at high resolutions. You made a folder of the images you'd like to use. You have them all in one place. And you have roughly the number of pages that you want. And you make sure everything is labeled and tagged and whatever the hell else you want them to do. So now we're going to talk a little bit about arranging. Well, arranging could depend on the theme that you're going for. A lot of people print out the images and lay them on the floor Uh, basically what order you would like your photos to be in. You can use various different techniques. I've actually done that before. I made like teeny tiny pictures and made a micro zine. I really (laughs) want to see that. I showed it to you. I really want to see that again. Are you serious? It's like this, it was like super tiny little micro zine. Was this when when we were doing your first zine? Yes. Really? I have almost no memory of that. So one thing you need to consider when you're laying out your photos is the spread. Now, the spreads are when you open a zine, open a book or whatever, and you see two pages, the left and the right. That's the spread. And so you need to consider like which two images, or more, I suppose, if you're going to go that route, if these images play nicely together. And another thing to keep in mind are centerfolds. Try to remember which photos are going in the centerfold so that if you want to, you can do something kind of funky with the centerfold, or you can just, you know, make a note of which photos are there. Find out what sizes your print shop offers, and now would be a good time to look into pricing and see what you can swing. Keep in mind that if you're going to do color, it's going to be probably double the price. So you might want to choose to do a black and white one 
for the first. Yeah, black and white's a really good place to start. Yes. Now, some of the places that you'll be getting these zines made, they use templates that note the bleed in the safe areas. The bleed is the area that will be cut off. And sometimes you want your images or your design or whatever to go right up to the edge of the page. And so you kind of have to make it a little bit bigger. They'll explain that all to you. And the safe areas are, are basically your margins. Don't put important stuff in the margins unless you want it there for effect. Also, another thing to note about size is if you are going to be selling these online and shipping them out, you want to make sure how much you are going to be paying for shipping. So if you have a very large scene with a lot of pages, it's going to cost a little bit more for that as well. Yeah. Now, while some people lay out their images on the ground, on the floor, and kind of pick pick through them that way, you can also do it on the computer. And eventually, more than likely, you're going to have to use a computer program to kind of get everything together and done. You have to use a computer program to kind of complete the process here. So, uh, Vanya, what what do you use? I use InDesign. It's a desktop publishing thing. I actually did a seven-day trial <laughs> for my first scene. Uh, and I was like, all right, I have seven days to get this shit together. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up really liking it. And since I started using that, I just feel comfortable there. So I ended up just going for it and getting InDesign. Now, I do remember that because I, I was under a crunch to finish editing whatever I was editing on your on your zine. I think it was the words. It was the words, yeah. It was a very much a, do this now. <laughs> and so while you, while you use InDesign, free or otherwise, I use GIMP, which is kind of a low-rent Photoshop. It's not ideal. It's not a desktop publishing thing. It is literally just Photoshop. And so you're laying out page by page. But I like doing it this way. I really like doing it that way. And it's free. Also free is a desktop publisher for Linux and Mac and Windows called Scribus. I've used it a couple of times. I think I used it for one of the all through lens zines. And, and I like it well enough, but it's just maybe a, a bit too complicated for me. You can also just do it analog and scan that shit in. And here is where influences from other zines can come in handy. If you don't have a good number of photo zines, you may want to look into getting some. Get a lot of them. Kind of uh, look at them. Take your influences from that. See what they're doing and and not necessarily do the same, but kind of put your spin on those things. There's a, a few different variations of what you can do for a page in your zine or for your whole zine entirely. For one, the most basic, the simple format, just a simple format. Yeah. So I recently got a zine. Uh, my wife thought all my clever titles were Dumb by Chris Visser. And there are several photos where to highlight his photo, he left the opposite page blank, uh, which is great. It's a really good idea because then you're really focusing on just the one image. Uh, you could also do different things like uh, putting a background of some kind with the photo. One of the things that I've done is I, I would take the photo and I would enlarge it so you can see the grain really chunky and big. And I'd stick the regular photo right over that. I recently got a zine. It's called Vibes Sir. North Shore Cruising by Susan Lopez at My Passion, My Vision on Instagram. And she kind of talked a little bit about like surf culture and how it was inspiring to her. So you can do a lot of things with text. Some people choose no text whatsoever. And other folks like myself choose to, with some zines, load it up with text with a lot of information and stories. Or Some people do poetry. Some people do whatever you want, man. It's your zine. Do whatever you want. Or in the end, you could just go old school and leave it like kind of like a bit of chaos, sort of like Anne Holland's wonderful zines. It's not chaos, though. I mean, it's fucking beautiful. 
It's amazing. Okay, I wasn't. She had like wonderful detail. She did. I, I love her zines. It's like a very nice, controlled, nicely controlled chaos. I okay. like her layouts. Her, I mean, honestly, if I could do something like that, I would. I don't have that talent. Fucking track her down and, and get them. They're, they're great zines. Yes, absolutely. We should go to Policon. I agree. Can we? Yes. Let's do it. Just a weekend, you know? Save up your money. We're flying, baby. However you do it, the end result will be a PDF, basically an ebook of your zine. This is what you'll submit to the printer. And after you submit it to the printer, it's kind of out of your hands, but only for now. In the next episode, we'll talk about choosing a print shop, about prices, about selling, distribution, trading, sharing, and all the extra stuff that goes along with doing zines. Tune in next time for the exciting conclusion of... <laughs> Was that good? I tried. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what you're doing. We got zines. We got zines. We got Z-I-N-E. Zines. <laughs> Back in the day... There were Minute made fruit juices and fruit punches and boiled canned beans. Uh, Fanya? What? I don't know what you're going through right now. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Okay, I'm should... trying so hard. I can't think of anything. Well, let's, uh, let's, why don't we do some zine reviews? Or in this case, one zine review. Okay. Okay. I've got a zine to review. Okay. Okay. The scene I got the review is Michael Teckles in Silvum Scriuta. I am absolutely not pronouncing any of those words correctly. <laughs> so when Michael moved to Nottingham, UK, he didn't know much about the place at all, but he knew he wanted to visit Sherwood Forest because why wouldn't you? This is the same Sherwood Forest that uh, Robin Hood, the Robin Hood stories are all about and where they take place. So Michael entered the forest, he viewed it, and he left in incredibly unimpressed and then for some reason he returned with his Hauselblad. and i think this might say something about the greater nottingham area he decided to explore the forest in depth with his Hauselblad, and this zine is the result of that exploration in silvum scriuda which is latin for in sherwood forest somehow i don't know how the hell that's Latin for that. But anyway, Michael arranged 30 or so photos across 24 pages. And for the most part, they're photos of vegetation and trees, the flora, but not the fauna of Sherwood. This is a really carefully arranged and well put together zine. It, it really is kind of a thing of beauty. The photos all really play well together. And the whole zine is just something to behold. It's eight by eight black and white which is an interesting choice which requires a bit of imagination it's a dense green forest and yet he decides to capture it in black and white yeah i, I thought that was kind of fun you don't you don't have a copy of it but um no been, but you showed it to I me i showed it to you and that you you pointed that out and i was like oh yep. it made me really dig the zine a bit more i was kind of looking at it as like oh my god there's a zine a really cool zine you're like you know this actually takes a little bit of imagination Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. It's really a moving thing to say about a zine. You can, uh, and you should, pick this up. It's £7.50. You can get it at techlephoto.com, and the link will absolutely be in the show notes. And next episode, we will be going into even more zines. Yes!
that about does it for this episode of All Through a Lens. Tune in next week, one week from now, when we go into another dev party. We'll be developing something, and we'll have a party of some kind. Yeah, hopefully all of our negatives will come out this time. It'll be the first episode where all of them do. I really hope so. But honestly, I'm actually super liking that we have all these failures because, hey, you know what? If someone looks at us and goes, well, fuck, they fuck up too. And if you're going to develop your own film, you're probably going to make the same exact mistakes. But are they going to make them as often as we do? (laughs) I hope not. No, probably not. That's almost impossible. We seem to fuck up uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's not even just like film it's cameras equipment and all sorts of things i have like real problems we are multitasking in our fucking upping yeah we absolutely are so you know what i have to say about that tell me if you'd like to contact us we're at all through a lens podcast on instagram by email it's all through a lens podcast at gmail and we're all through a lens on twitter mm, sort of vanya is at surf martian and eric is at conspiracy dot of dot cartographers both on instagram and speaking of instagram make sure you hashtag your stuff all through a lens podcast to be featured on our instagram page we also do a spotify playlist for each episode so check those out and see what we're listening to just search all through a lens you can also find our episodes on spotify as well as on stitcher apple Podcasts, google play and wherever the hell else you can find your podcast subscribe and leave us a review the music you're hearing now is from last regiment of syncopated drummers which you can find at lastregiment.com and thank you all from the bottom of our hearts so much for listening we really do appreciate it yes and thank you so much for voting for us that's right we're sunny winners we are sunny we we are now an award-winning podcast we are well we got third place but it's still an award it's still an award damn it (laughs) number three yeah i wouldn't want to be number four (laughs) oh god could you imagine if we were number four I'd throw myself on the sword right now. No, Who was number nah. four? Oh, that was FPP and Grady Days. Tied. Who? Who was on their last show? I think that was you. <laughs> do you, remember, do you don't remember doing that? Did you, like, black out and do, a, do another Grady Days interview? <laughs> I think you may have. I mean, I'm pretty sure I just, like, giggled for three hours with them, but I'm not exactly sure. I had a good time. It was really fun. Yeah. I mean, was, I'm not going to, like, you know, leave you for the Grady Days guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame, I tell you, a shame. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> it was actually a really great interview. Thanks, guys. We yes. really do appreciate that. Thanks for pointing us. That's very cool. So if you don't already, listen to Granny Days. Just this whole community is so amazing. I keep thinking this to myself, like how amazing it is. I get to talk to people that are super passionate about photography, and then I get to talk to you. Me? <laughs> and record a podcast. Yeah, it, it's great. About all things photography and it's people listen and then people voted and liked us yeah they liked us yeah it's great you know this this podcast just just really wouldn't exist without you so well it, it would but it would be boring and no one would listen <laughs> <laughs> okay well on that note uh we'll see you in a couple of weeks i guess Fanya, do you really want to go out and shoot fuck yeah i do <laughs> all right let's go Push it. Push it real good.